Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I think I'm already at my like 80th, 90th episode. Um, this is a really fun episode that I was really looking forward to putting out. You've heard the episode with my friend Kelly Gross or Ellie Shavik Gross or Kelly Kravitz or she has lots of names, but we're good friends from seminary. And um, I'm actually pretty close with her mom, Mara. And I really wanted to interview Mara because she really has a, an amazing perspective, an amazing story. Just as you heard from Kelly's story that she didn't grow up from, and now she is living an Orthodox Orthodox religious lifestyle. Um, and I wanted to, you know, hear her mom's perspective. Also, Kelly's mom was Mara. Kelly's mom was um, diagnosed with leukemia a few years back and she shares her story and also an amazing story that happened I, I don't want to give it give away too much of the details but she was actually asked to come to an Azer Mitzion concert um, and you'll hear in the episode how amazing that was and Kelly actually graciously invited me to come and it was a really moving powerful experience so I really encourage you to listen to this episode it's a very moving story and with a very positive, beautiful outcome. Uh, so without further ado, here's the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Tonight I have Mara Pfeffer. Hi, Mara. Hi, Gila. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Sure. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Me too. I have a lot of things I wanted to discuss with you, and I'm so excited to share it with the listeners. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll first say that you are actually my really good friend, Kelly's mom. Yes. And Kelly's been here before on the podcast, and she's awesome, and we love her. Um, but can yes. you just introduce yourself <laughs> to the listeners? Like, Tell us where you live, what do you do? Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name, as, as Gila said, is Mara. I live near Boston in Chestnut Hill. So it's three miles from Boston. I'm from California. I um, ended up out here. I married a man who was living here. So when Kelly graduated high school and she was doing a year in Israel, it just so happened I got engaged. So. We both moved out of California at the same time. Right. So, so when it snows, everybody said, you live, you know, you lived in San Diego. Why'd you move? Yeah. Yeah. That must've been a really hard adjustment. I mean, San Diego to Boston. 
I, especially in the wintertime, but you know, I have to say, I love it here. I love the change of scenery, the seasons. Um, so I actually prefer it here. You were born and raised in California? Right, San Diego. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, that's crazy. I actually didn't know that, but I've actually never been to San Diego. I've been to LA and Santa Barbara, both beautiful, stunning, gorgeous uh, places. And I can't imagine going from San Diego to Boston, but I hear what you're saying, like to always have like the same weather, like it could get like boring or like you just get used to it. Right, right. I have my dad still there, my two children. I still have, I have two older siblings um, that live there. So I go there a couple times a year to visit. So you're back and forth, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a nurse, right? I'm a nurse. So I work in, I'm a registered nurse and I work in an ambulatory clinic. I do mostly telephone triage and, you know, things that uh, I do a lot of vaccinations. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure you're very busy with that. Yes. So some days they laugh at me because I'm running down the hall. It's like, again? <laughs> oh my gosh. Totally. Because that gives me, yeah, but it gives you a chance to meet the people that you talk to on the phone. It's like, oh, that's who you are, you know, so. Yeah. And you're so friendly and like, you're so good with people. So that's probably like fun for you. Thanks. It is fun. It's yeah. fun to see them in person. Uh, yeah, so there's a few, there's a few reasons why I wanted to bring you on the podcast, even though you were like a little hesitant, like what did what what could you really share? But really, from my perspective, you have so much to share. So, um, first of all, um, Kelly, my good friend Kelly, who goes by Ellie Sheva, also. Um, so I met her in seminary, and she was already religious when I met her. So I guess she was like 17, 18. Um, and like from her perspective, like the story that I heard is like she became, she went to Nagila, she became somewhat religious in high school, um, and then now she's fully religious, I'm married yeah. to a religious man, has religious kids. Um, uh, so what was that like for you when she was going through that? So you know, it was a, a longer transition. She went to. Uh, I'll try to condense it, but um, the school that she went to didn't have a lot of Jewish kids. So there was a couple, I want to say from Chabad, but I don't know, um, that would come and talk to the Jewish kids and bring pizza. And so the handful of Jewish kids would go to that because it's pizza. So they were having a picnic and it happened to be a Mother's Day. And Kelly said she'd go. I think that was my Mother's Day gift. And she was 16. And you wanted um, her to go? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, to the picnic, yeah, I was thrilled that she was going to hang out with Jewish kids. Right. So I went to pick her up and the couple were just telling me how much they loved Kelly. And of course. Yeah, she's very lovely. One knows yeah. her. Yeah, she's an yeah. awesome person. Um, so of course, my I was like, oh, proud mommy. But they told me about a camp and um, that they'd like her to go to. And I was never able to financially send my kids to camp. So I thought, okay great opportunity and so she went to camp and she did get religious and it was hard I didn't keep kosher I wasn't religious her friends weren't um so it was difficult she went back another year to camp became more religious and and then I think I think actually she went three years and then um she just totally immersed herself she went her senior year in high school she went to a um Hebrew high for her senior year. And it's interesting, some people thought, well, maybe she didn't get along with her friends anymore and her secular school and that's why. 
but that wasn't. She continued to be friends with them. It was that she really felt a connection yeah. to, to Judaism. Well, so, did, you, did you grow up like with any, like some people grow up, like they keep the high holidays or they keep like, you know, they fast on Yom Kippur. Did you grow up with like any sort of religion? Oh, definitely. So we were conservative. My mom was sisterhood president. My dad was president of the synagogue. Um, definitely high holidays, some some Friday nights, some Saturday mornings. My brothers were bar mitzvah. I wasn't bar mitzvah. I wasn't very good at languages. So mm-hmm. my mom said I could quit. But um, I, I hear that. I would also quit. Yeah. <laughs> my kids were bar and bar mitzvah. It was um, important to me, but I didn't push it. They just kind of knew they that was expected of them. Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't, I think Kelly becoming religious, I felt a little guilty that I wasn't. I tried to be accommodating t- towards her um, and respected her. It wasn't a bad thing. I mean, if she was on drugs or right. hanging around the wrong crowd, that's one thing, but she was really hanging out with good people. Yeah. I, I met her friends from high school and um really nice a nice group of friends yeah yeah and like you said like it wasn't like she um didn't want to be friends with her with her friends from from public school it's just that she had this like strong connection to to Judaism or religion and so so that that didn't negatively affect you that that you were happy to like accept that it just happened to be like you weren't religious right right but so, I, but it wasn't bad. It wasn't. I supported her. I hope she feels that way. But oh yeah, totally, totally. Like it's just so nice because like it, for some, I mean, I, I'm sure it could be like very uh, overwhelming for certain like parents when their kids become religious. Um, and I totally get that. Like like to have your child totally change their lifestyle, especially in high school when we're all like just changing so much, and who knows right. what will stick and what and what won't stick and what's real and what's not real, but. I can see how that could like, you know, affect the family. Like, what do we do now? Like, I know I have a lot of friends who became religious in high school and, you know, their parents had to get like kosher pots and pans and they weren't right. able to drive them on Travis and that could kind of like change the, the, the dynamic in the house. So I could totally see how that would affect the family. But it, it sounds like you were just like, either way, like Kelly religious, Kelly not religious. And you were just happy. Right. Like she was doing like good things. Right, right. Some people were worried that um, it was a cult, like right. she'd taken right. away from the family. Right. And Kelly made it quite clear from the beginning to her rabbi, the priority um, was family. Um, and in fact, I, when I got married, um, she talked to her rabbi because it was going to be near a holiday. And it wasn't... Um, it didn't overlap on a holiday, but it was going to be near one. And she wanted to like, make sure everything was fine. Cause you know, she was still learning and making sure everything was okay. And she said, this is a, basically, this is a deal breaker. Not, not in those words, but she said, this is really important to me and I'm going to keep my family. And, and uh, you know, the rabbi's like, of course, don't, right. Right. There's no problems. There's no problems. Yeah. Yeah. Kelly was always somebody like in seminary who was like super close to her family. Like, family was like so important to her and this and this you guys are so 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 close like okay. I mean I've seen you know I, I was just what popped into my head was like that Shabbos where we all came to oh visit you in Boston and it was just that so, was so fun. fun it was so much yeah, fun I mean, Kelly had what eight 
eight young ladies. I think so. It was so much fun. I remember the mosaic table. Like I told you, I started to, I did mosaic once and now it's like, I'm pretending like it's my hobby, but like it stuck out to me like that mosaic table is so pretty. I remember we had so many fun conversations, like, right? Like we just had so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's something like... Like there I, was, I was just going to say, I, I remember you on your iPad in, in our room, in our bedroom, exercising to it. <laughs> so, yes, I did do that. Yes. yes, that was definitely my addicted to exercise stage for sure. Um, that sounds like me. That's so funny. I remember us, like, I hope this is okay to say, but I remember us like talking about like someone we all knew that was like an older single remember right yes. and you guys when we were talking about her you guys were like oh my god how old is she and we're like I think she's 29 and you were like you guys made her sound like she was 56 and like I still think about that like like how funny it must be like we it's true like the whole like shit off crisis and like matchmaking and I was that put things in perspective for me like oh my gosh we really are making such a big deal about this in the you know religious world right but that's how it is so if that's right. the world you live in right that is something that you worry about right right I just remember that being like we all like burst into laughter like when we were right. talking about that yeah, yeah. Ruben are like and <laughs> right yeah totally that was so much fun I, I have so many good memories about that like I just feel like you you guys really are so supportive of Kelly's lifestyle and like respectful and like you know like as it should be like everyone's entitled to choose how they want to live and like it was just like such a nice Shabbos Oh, thanks. I had a good, we had a good time. Ruben and I talk about it quite often. So we should come back. We'll do another one. I, I have, I have two rooms open. Come. Okay, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, so I, so another thing I wanted to talk to you about was actually, you'll have to correct me on the details, but a few years ago you were diagnosed with um, leukemia, right? Right. In June of 2018. Right. And that's actually really, I mean, you know, it was really crazy that you were diagnosed then. We had another friend whose mother was diagnosed and my mother was diagnosed with cancer, like the, all within yeah. the same time, yeah. all within the same time. But I think, I think that you were diagnosed first and it was so, walk us through that. Like, what was, what was that like being diagnosed? Um, it was really crazy. And Kelly actually was there the weekend. I knew I was going to have a bone marrow um, biopsy because my labs were abnormal and um, I wanted Kelly to come up one to keep my mind off of it. Um, and I remember I, I had no symptoms. It was an incidental finding. I had low blood count. They said, come back in eight weeks. I did. It was lower. Crazy. Um, so you, no, just, you were completely asymptomatic. Totally. I was tired. I, I walked to and from work. It's a mile each way. So it's no big deal. Yeah everyone I get home I'm tired but everybody's tired you know the right, 30 years right. so um so yeah I didn't I was just shocked um I had some labs and I since I work in primary care I took my I copied my labs I printed them out and I sent to a doctor I work with what do you think of these labs and she just went "Ooh, is that one of my patients and I said no it's mine oh, and she wow. went oh. oh wow so that was kind of telling so um, I had a bone marrow biopsy. I was outside playing with the Kiva in the playground, running around after him, like after a bone marrow biopsy, like, you know, mm -hmm. it's it not a big deal. And I got the call that I had leukemia and it, it's just a call. You can't comprehend it. You just can't comprehend it. And, um, 
you know, luckily Kelly was there. Uh, as much as you don't want to tell your kids, it was nice to have love around me. Right. And how old were you at the time? So I was 60. You're going to make me, you're going to make me, um, I was 61. You don't have to. <laughs> no, because I, I must have been 61 because I'm going to be 64 next week. So I was 61. So total shock. Or, right? was, I, or was I sick? Maybe I was 60. It'll be four years. Yeah. I was 60. I had, a, I had my lab work. Then we went to San Diego for, a, um, Ruben actually threw me a surprise party for my 60th. So everybody was there oh, wow. and, and who knew, right? Yeah. And you're celebrating. And I, and I look back on that, like I look at pictures and go, nobody knew. Like I'm looking at pictures. People are telling me how much they love me and yada, yada. And in my body, this thing is happening. It's so crazy. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Is there like, I don't know anything about leukemia. Is there like a genetic factor? Like, did you know? No, it just happens. It just happens. It's just a mutation that happens. So um, I talked to this, the oncologist who schedules and he said, you know, pack your bag for a week. And that panicked me. And you know, bring it to your appointment. So I had this oncology appointment and the doctor said, okay, you're going to be in the hospital for a month. And I went, just like that, just like the next, like a few days later after the diagnosis. Yeah. So my diagnosis was Friday. So I had work on Thursday. Friday was my diagnosis. And Monday I was in the hospital for a month. Oh my, I, I need to take a minute to like process that. That's so crazy. I mean, I know, I know all this, but it's so it's it's crazy just even thinking I was at work all my stuff was there and I you know I'm big on pictures yeah Uh, surrounded by love so I had my grandkids pictures and just everything and they actually saved it for a while they wouldn't let anyone put it in boxes all my things and so nice and then I I said you can really box it up it's okay (laughs) it's okay so, so the doctor told you that like, this is really serious or like, right. Right. So I had looked on the computer once, you know, you shouldn't really, you shouldn't, look. but you did. And yes. I tell patients all the time, like throw your computer against the wall. Do not yeah. look at it. Yeah. And I started looking at statistics and I stopped and I never really looked it up again, even though I'm in the medical field, I'm not in oncology. Right. So I don't know these things and I didn't want to know statistics because I didn't want to say well I didn't want that to to worry me I was going to listen to my doctors and the nurses about my care and um and and that's what I did so we got to that so we um they have to put a port in you so they draw blood and we get to the room and the nurse was busy because they were giving a report. And so we just, she said, I'll be there in a few minutes. So Ruben and I, Ruben's my husband. So Ruben and I kind of just sat there like, what, I'm healthy. So I'm sitting there, do I get in pajamas? <laughs> Am I supposed to change to a gown and get in bed? Like, you, know, like you don't I'm feel so like you need to be in bed, but right, you're in a hospital. Right. Yeah. Right, right. I guess they didn't walk you through like what you do in the hospital for a month, like when you're feeling totally healthy. Right, right. You know, once the nurses came in, they explained it to me. And 
they don't give you too much because they don't want to overwhelm you. Right. Um, but the doctor was really great, like writing down, this is what we're going to do. This is the medication. And, you know, it's. It's so much again, information. You can't, yeah, you just can't comprehend it. Um, so at the time, so you were diagnosed on a Friday, you were admitted to the hospital on a Monday for a month. And in, right. was it like, is it like all a blur? Is it like super clear? Like, is it just, you were just trying to survive the day? Like how, what was going on in your head? Yeah. So I, first of all, I don't have a good memory and sometimes I wish I kept a journal and other times I'm glad I didn't. Um, you do take it day by day. They keep a calendar. So the nurses will say, okay, I had chemotherapy, um, for seven days, 24 hours a day. Oh, wow. I, so I had two chemos. One was three full days and one was seven. Wow. So, you know, you're just feeling crummy. The fatigue is amazing. Then you, you start to feel sick, but you know, there's so many medications like my friend who has uh, had leukemia said this, if you're going to get cancer, this is the best time to get it is because medical science is so advanced. Interesting. So they, you know, they kept you comfortable. They kept me really comfortable when I couldn't sleep. They said, you know, there's sleep medication. Don't be afraid to take it. If the doctor yeah. ordered it, it's okay to take. Yes, for sure. You know, if you're feeling anxious and you can't sleep because your mind is going hundred miles a minute, take the medication. It's, it's okay. So you did that? I did that. Okay. Yeah. And, and Ruben was allowed to stay with you in the hospital or no? Um, yeah. So he didn't sleep over. He just would come visit. We have a dog. So yeah, I understand. <laughs> I, think yeah. he, I think he'd go crazy. It's kind of, I know that some people stay with their family member 24 seven. It's kind of exhausting to have company and yeah. you definitely have to be with somebody who is okay with you not talking and right. Um, just sitting there or feeling uncomfortable yeah. or what did, what were you able to do in the hospital? Well, it's interesting. Ruben said, Oh, I'll bring your mosaic supplies and you'll do it. Which one you can't because Glasgow's flying. Right. Right. Um, but I just didn't have the motivation or the energy to do that. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of it was, I watched things on my iPad. I wrote a little bit. Um, People come visit off and on, but really I was just kind of blah. Because of the medication? Because of the medication. So in a way, like, do you feel like that medication sort of like numbed you and you didn't have to like feel? No, it was from the chemo. It wasn't, it was the chemo just making me feel fatigued and, and they say go walk. So you would walk, but you know, you'd have to put a mask on and carry the pole with you and- right. It's, it's like 30 feet and you have to turn around and come back. So I was kind of bored. I think looking back, I saw other people, a couple other people, I should have chatted with them, but you feel like everybody's in their own world. Right. And I didn't want to bother them. Right. That's I mean, it. there's only a couple people. It wasn't like I saw right. five, or six people. Right. But so I'm not like, was it like painfully boring or it was just sort of like, you just didn't feel well. So you just wanted to be in bed. It was kind of boring. You know, I knew there was the Red Sox game on, which was really helpful. It was just comforting because not that I'm a big um, baseball fan, but you know, when I used, we used to have it on at home when the games were on, just 
like I, if I was doing mosaics, the game would be on. It's just so, again, at the, at the hospital. And then there was always ads for Burger King. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And then when I was in the hospital again, it was cars. The cars were for sale. So now it kind of, and when I see an ad for Burger King, it's like, oh. <laughs> totally, totally. Like PTSD yeah. from the hospital. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I should have been more productive in the hospital, but I know I, I probably didn't couldn't have been. Yeah. What would I have? done yeah no I I feel like it sounds like you handled that really well because like you're you're a really active person it's not like you it's not like you weren't working it's not like you were like not out and about you were so like maybe just maybe just because you were so tired from the medication like you didn't feel like you wanted to get up yeah if you're tired or nauseous or yeah yeah so after a month you were able to like go home but you were like what was that like so you still had to be really careful. So everywhere, when I went to the doctors, I had to wear gloves and masks. And I remember recently I said to Ruben, oh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't that bad. And he just looked at me and said, oh, yes, it was. It well, was you're bad. an optimist, right? Well, yeah, and I forget, you know, you yes. just don't remember. But then I thought about it and I, I remember being in the parking lot and thinking, I really want to ask Ruben to get a wheelchair. I don't think I can make it to the elevators. So that's how tired I was. And I yeah. thought, no, I'm going to do it. There's a bench by the elevators. I can sit there. And then when I was on the elevator thinking, okay, are people going to think I'm crazy if I have to sit down? And so I, so that's how tired I was. Like, can I get to the next place without falling down? Wow. That was after being in the hospital for a month. Right. And being on so, chemo, like a lot. Yeah. And then I recovered. Oh, and I also, by the way, Kelly, I think it was Kelly cut my hair. So it was longer. So because I knew I'd, I'd be losing my hair, I let Kelly cut it a little bit because I thought it would kind of be fun, which it was because she doesn't, she's not good at cutting. <laughs> so <laughs> she did a pretty good job, but it was something... I felt like, okay, Kelly and I all bond over cutting my hair. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So she, she came to visit like throughout. Yeah, that. She stayed, yes, she stayed with me overnight, which is really nice. Um, and just comforting to have her. I didn't have to talk. Yeah, she's the best. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So after that month, you were allowed to, like you were home for like a while? I was home and I... So there, while I was there, they looked for a donor match. Okay, we I don't I, I do know a little bit about this just from you, but okay. probably people don't. So what what did you need? Like what does that mean, a donor match? Okay. So I have um you need some I needed a stem cell transplant to survive. So that mm-hmm. means somebody uh, we all have stem cells, they're baby cells. And I needed somebody who matched certain criteria who was a close match to me. So a lot of times it's siblings or um, a family member, but sometimes you have to go outside of that, which is a registry. So um, if anyone is ever, if you can, please donate it. I know I don't have experience of donating, but I heard it's not bad. They don't make big holes in your body. It's a blood, it's like donating blood. Okay. So, I had, they found one match and who is they they? like, how do you get um, the registry? So the oncologist said we found one match. 
So there's several registries. There's, um, and the one that I matched with was Eretz Mitzion. Um, my match was from Israel and we were gonna do it, um, I think before September. And then uh, we were gonna do it for September, which meant I had to go back for another chemo because you can't go very long without another chemo because your bad cells will come back, mm -hmm. right? So while we're waiting, and while they were finding it, I had to do another chemo, which was 17 days in the hospital. So they found a donor and she had to wait till after September. So we figured, oh, she's Jewish. This is us figuring out because right. you don't know who it is. She you don't know who it Jewish. is, right? Right. It's a high holidays. So we waited and I had, I had had that other um, chemo. And then we found out she couldn't do it for nine to 12 months. So we thought, oh, she must have gotten pregnant. Right. I actually, <laughs> I remember you telling that. Yeah. So uh, meanwhile, they, they um, when we found that out, I had to have another chemo treatment. So it's another couple, three weeks in the hospital. Because again, they can't let your blood cells continue to grow because um, the leukemia cells will take over again. So they tested my children, they tested my brothers. They really like people, uh, donors younger than 40. Mm -hmm. So um, they were deciding who to who could be my donors and my brothers and my children were uh, only a 50% match. You really want 100% for the best chance. Right. So uh, we were really just, it was coming down to the day we had to decide and the doctors would have decided who was the best match because they have the lab work. And my doc, my oncologist called and said, we have a match. So this donor must've just come on the registry if they just found it. And this was, so, so you were diagnosed in June. This was when? This was probably October, November. Okay. So I've had, I think three other chemos to keep me going. So my stem cell was the end of November, November 27th. So when you go into the hospital for a stem cell, they wipe out your whole immunity. And then they bring in this, um, it looks like a bag of blood if you've ever donated blood. Mm -hmm. It's just a little bit different color, it's pink, but it's stem cells. So they do give medication to the patient, to the person who's donating to um, make your stem cells reproduce more. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was in the hospital again for, I think I want to say, I keep saying 17 days because that just, it's always around 17, 20 days. And then um, after that, I was home for three months. I couldn't go out. Ruben had to clean the house of like all knickknacks. You have to scrub the house down because you really, you have no, no immunity. immunity. You right. have no immunity. Right. That's so crazy. Yeah. But this, like, like I, I'm just trying to get the timeline. This was like, once you had the stem cell transplant, that was like the cure. Like that was assumed to be the cure. Correct. Correct. Okay, but you were at like um, a higher risk of infection because of the procedure where they wiped out all your immunities, basically. Right. So they're waiting for my stem cells to 
um, or they're waiting for the donor stem cells to take over in my body. Got it. So they kind of keep you in a bubble for a hundred days. You're there's certain foods you can and cannot have because they don't want anything to happen. So they don't want you to have lettuce because you know how lettuce is always reek. Yeah. Right. You have to wash everything really good. Your food has to be at a certain temperature. Did you feel um, really nervous? Like, like a paranoid about like germs? Um, I wasn't, I know I should have been. I wasn't. I feel like you were just like trying to get through the day, you know, like how else do you manage like such a trauma really? Yeah. And I think the people who came to visit me were basically family. So I trusted them. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend once who was going to come over and she said, you know, I have the sniffles today. I'm not coming over. So everybody I was surrounded with was really careful. Yeah. So um, it was fun. And then the end of February, I think I could start going out again. But again, going out meant gloves and a mask. And this is before everybody wore, this is, this before, is before masks were stylish. This was right, this was the year before COVID, right? Yes. So was Ruben allowed to go out or he wasn't allowed to go oh, out? Yeah. Then he was, no, allowed. No. okay. Yeah. We just used a lot of antibacterial gel. Now it's like so normal, you know, like that. Right, right. So, okay, so. So and then, I was tired a lot of the time. I remember I used to have a pillow on the couch and I just always would have to lay down. So when I finally didn't need the pillow anymore, because I could sit up without being excited, you know, like, yeah, I, it was like graduation day. Yeah. Wow. You're like so positive that you're telling the story and like, such a, <laughs> in like, yeah, such a funny, sure like so positive then, but that sounds really hard, like really, really, really challenging. So after the three, after the hundred days, did you feel well, how did you feel during those hundred days? Did you feel like more tired? There was so much going on in your body. Right. So I just, yeah, I was just really tired. You know, I didn't have any motivation. I didn't have an appetite, which for me is shocking. Um, yeah, no, it's actually, about, it's really hard. You know, bringing into a weight issue, I lost a lot of weight to where they wanted, I wasn't eating. They were thinking that they're Mara, if you don't eat, we're putting- Giving you, know, you a feeding tube, yeah. Feeding tube. <laughs> And oh, yes. I out of the hospital, I, I loved the weight I was at and I loved feeling the way I felt. And then recently I said, but I want to be back there. But, you know, I tell myself, but the nurses want to put in a feeding tube. Like, that is such a good point. That is such a good point. Such an important point. I mean, you know, like I, I treat eating disorders and disordered eating and I've right. seen that. I've spoken about this many times on my podcast and on my Instagram, like people, I had a friend who was actually diagnosed with cancer, like when she was like 21 or something and she lost a lot of weight and people would compliment her and she's like, I have cancer. And they're like, wow, I wish okay. I had cancer. Like to the, oh people my are God. so um, disordered in their thinking that like, they think like, oh, like, I just wish I was ill. Like, it's just so crazy that we, right. it's so, right. It's so easy to be ill because you'll be thin. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, but that's really speaks to the cultural, like problems that are going on in terms of like diet right. culture. And, you know, that's a really good point. And also I, I always say this, that I, I was a dietitian in a nursing home for five years. Like our, our biggest concern was really weight loss. When people would lose weight, it's like, oh my God, what's going on? You know, is there right. a kidney problem? Is there cancer? Um, why, why were they eating hundred percent yesterday or three months ago? And now they're eating 50%. Like 
something's going on here. It's very disc, like disc, whatever the word is concerning when you're, you had a good appetite and now you don't, that's a really, right. and, and, and the outcomes, like the, the research shows how poor um, cancer outcomes are when people stop eating and they lose their appetite. Like we really want to keep cancer patients eating, you know? Right. Right. And when I complain about gaining weight, the oncologist said to me, but we want our patients to be a little overweight, not, but, but because God forbid it happens again, we don't want you to be at your lowest weight because you're going to lose weight. It's a hundred percent true. We saw it. So, like, so I want to put a sign, like I'm just overweight now because I, just in case. <laughs> My oncologist <laughs> said I have to eat that cookie five times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were so excited when our, when our cancer patients would eat like the, the milkshake right. or the cookie, you know, it's funny to see it in that perspective, but it's true. Yeah, the nutritionist come, Mar, what do you feel like? I'll get it for you. We'll go yes. to the store. And I'm like, well, string cheese. And she bought me like a Costco container of string cheese. I'm like, I just wanted one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been there where when we're really desperate to get the the um, residents to eat, like we would go to the supermarket and we would cut up the stuff ourselves. Like, right. you know, it's it's so important, that nutritional component for, right. for health. It's crazy. Right. Uh, that's a really good point. Thank you for for bringing that up. Um, so, so then, so after the hundred days you were like, right. like in the clear. Like, so like, no, I, I still like when it was a hundred days, I was going to the doctor, uh, three days a week down to two days a week. Um, I could go out, I would start going out probably about, after, I would take walks just like I could walk the dog, like a block. And then I'd go two blocks. So I started to go. So I really didn't hang around people. Mm. If somebody crossed me on the on the um, sidewalk, even if I had a mask on, I'd like hold my breath. Because, like, you, yeah, yeah. you, you know, kind of like now with COVID, yeah, like you just yeah. worry. So I, when I could go out, I'd go to like TG Maxx that was open at 10. And I'd go right when it opened just to walk around. But when I saw there were three or four people in the store, I would leave. Uh So just to get out and have some normalcy. Right. I didn't have anywhere else to go. Right. It sounds like, it sounds like by now you were already coming back to yourself. Cause when I asked if you were like a germaphobe, you're like, I I wasn't, but maybe I should have been, but it sounds like you just like, weren't like in your regular state of mind but once you right. know, after those 100 days you wanted to get out like and then you know right. you saw people you didn't want to breathe in their air Just so you I knew you I know? had to be careful yeah so I knew I didn't want I, I'm not stupid I'm not going to put myself in a bad situation but I'm like oh my god I can't go into that store I'll just go in when it's not crowded right right um yeah the first time I went to Costco I was a nervous wreck and that was further down. That was probably eight months after the right. stay. You know, it was quite a ways, maybe even right. a year. Wow. So, um, so then when were you in the clear? Like when were your doctors like, okay, like you're doing great, you know? Um, you know, each visit they would tell me. So um, after a year, every year it's a good, it's a good, it's party time. You know, it's like, yeah. this is great. This is great. I think when you hit the five-year mark of transplant, that's when they kind of kick you to the, to the wind and say, okay, go out. Yeah. Um, wow. It does make you think about, especially maybe at my age, um, I want to live and do things. I don't want to look back if God forbid I relapse. 
Yeah. You know, we never know when we're going to die, right? It could right. be, it could be for anyone tomorrow. It could be, we don't know, but statistically I have a greater chance of relapse than another person. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. like I was talking to my husband about it, he's 70 and he's, he's, well, I'm older than you. And I said, but because of what I had statistically, I'm not going to live as long as you. I think I'm not even like, we don't know. know. We don't know. We don't know. But, but relapse is, is a probability or or possibility, I should say. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of grappling with that now because, so I got better. And like you said, it was the year before COVID. Then I went back to work. Yeah. And, um, which actually my doctor said, I, you know, he would like me not to, but insurance said, oh, you can do it. You know, my, the disability doctors uh-huh. was okay. So my doctors that I work with are pretty careful with me. Uh-huh. I don't go into anyone's room that they're sick or anything like that. So that's good. Um, yeah. But it, it makes you realize what, what do I want to do with the rest of my life, which we should all think about, right? Let's not waste our time. And we yes. do, we get busy with day-to-day things. We have chores to do. We have errands to run. But did you do that road trip you wanted to take? Or did you take the class you wanted to take? Or did you make excuses not to do it? Right. It, it, it gave you a perspective for sure. Right. Right. So what changed? Like, wh- or what do you want to change? Like, what's like... So I'm going to... I'll retire. Well, Kelly's making Aliyah. So, yes. Yes. Um, so I know that, uh, so I'll probably retire within the year. Oh, wow. That's so exciting. So I bought a car and I'm like, I'm going to go on road trips. But of course, in the winter in the East, it's ridiculous. The first time yeah. I went, I went to go, there was a rainstorm, like rainstorm. And then there was a snowstorm and then there was ice. So um, we're going to try this weekend to get away. Oh, that's so exciting. I just, you know, want to take little mini road trips and I want to go drive around and see beautiful sights and scenery totally so have you ever been to Italy you know that's like on my my dream list so um we were gonna go and COVID happened and everything so I I wanted to go travel before I went back to work since I was healthy enough Mm -hmm. and the doctor said I could and then um Italy closed right okay so you are retiring god willing and now you have yes. like the world is your oyster is that like a saying yes. right, right. <laughs> okay I this is what I also really want to talk to you about because I it had this I mean your story had a profound effect on my life as as you might know uh just because of all the all the well Kelly is like one of my best friends and and I love you too and um it was very it, it was just so hard like what 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 Kelly was going through and what you were going through and what um, you were what you and what I was going through at the same time yeah right but but I was lucky enough to be invited to come to Bracha Jaffe's um concert yeah. okay She's but amazing. I, amazing but I didn't know anything really about Azir Mitzion and I don't think you really knew that much about it so tell us what happened with that concert like that was just so crazy <laughs> So I got a call from, and they had, they had called me before and I didn't really know who they were and they wanted a blurb, a video blurb on donating and getting, being a recipient, which I did because I'm a good person, right? So right. I'm like, right. hey, somebody asked me to. 
So a woman called me and asked me, it identified herself from being from Eretz Mitzion and I kind of had to research it. Like, oh, this is the organization that found my donor. And they had a fundraiser um, October 31st and um, to raise money for, because they fund people. So if somebody wants to be a donor, but they don't have money, even $50 to do whatever they have to do, um, this organization will fund them among other things. So they asked me if I'd be willing to speak and tell my story. And I said, sure, because I need to pay it forward. Which is really crazy, by the way. I I know like the story now because I came to the concert, but um, they could have asked anyone, right? Right. And and I also think that I don't want to like, you'll tell the story, but I think that it was pretty crazy that you got matched with Ezer Mitzion being a Jewish organization because it could have been any organization, right? Correct. Correct. And the nurses said that most donors they find are from Germany, which I thought was interesting. So interesting. So interesting. But, my, but the two people, so the first woman of us, we're thinking, yeah. um, was from Israel. And now um, Leah, my donor, was from Israel. Right. And, and they kind of alluded to the fact that she might be there, which I was very excited. Um, oh, right. Great. You didn't know that she was going to be there. I didn't know. But they also said... Um, on the phone call that they didn't know, they didn't think she got my thank yous. Right. Which I was devastated because yeah. what did she think of me? <laughs> right, and I, I wanted to say that this is what I found out from Leah because by coming to the concert that apparently you're not supposed to know who your donor is for like a year, right? Correct. Just in case Correct. it doesn't work, nobody should feel bad. Right, and then after a year, they get in touch with the donor and say, do you want to get in contact with the recipient or can the recipient call? So I had written her a letter. I do mosaics as we've talked about. Yes. So I sent her a mosaic piece that I had done and then another letter. And then I thought, okay, I haven't heard from her. I'm going to stop because she probably thinks I'm stalking her. Right. <laughs> right. Cause she didn't respond. And that makes sense. You don't know if somebody wants to talk to you or not, if they don't respond. Right. Maybe, you know, it's private. It's a private thing. So I have to respect that. Right. Um, so during the concert, which was crazy, I was treated like royalty. Oh my I, God. You know, I, like being on this podcast, this doesn't happen in my life. And so oh. I went, I went to this wonderful old theater and I had a, a, a um, so I always lose my words. <laughs> I had my own little room and they were trying to keep me away from the donor. I saw that the donor was going to be there. Right, right, right. So, so Kelly, um, so I didn't know anything about this and I saw it um, advertised on Instagram, right? And Bracha Jaffe is like a famous singer. I didn't even know that Shane D, I, did, I didn't really know much about them, honestly, or about Ezer Metzion or anything. And then Kelly's like, Gila, are, do you want to come? I'm like, what are you even talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. She's like, my mom is going to be, I was like, oh, I had no, like, I just didn't connect that. I, how would I have known, you know? Right. And like, I guess I wasn't like expecting how inspirational that night would be. Not, neither did I. And, you know, they told me, okay, there's going to be, you know, last year there, I said, of course, of course. And then it's okay, last year there were 2,000 people, but we're expecting 3,000. And I just, it's like, how how do I do this? (laughs) You were nervous? Yes, it was crazy. 
Yeah, but you were treated like royalty, and I and I honestly yeah. felt like you deserved Bloody it. People. Like, oh, you know, Leia did because she's the donor. I did the easy part, right? I just, I just not really. Time. You went through like <laughs> cancer and chemo. I know, and... but um, I I I do want people to know how difficult it is to to go through chemotherapy. Um, anybody who goes through it, it, it is a tough one. But to be a donor and to give life to someone, and I, I said it in the video that I, I did for um, Eretz Mitzion, it's not just my life, but it affects every everybody who's around me, right? As you know, you unfortunately lost your mom, how much that affects you and your family and, and how you interact with people and so the donor is just amazing. It's so important and it's so easy to do. And something that really helped that made me stronger and less nervous is they told me that there's a possible donor in the audience mm -hmm. and she was waffling. And I thought, okay, if we can pull this together and make one person donate, it's going to make such a huge difference. Totally. Totally. I mean, um, so so Leia doesn't speak English doesn't speak English she only speaks yeah. <laughs> Hebrew <laughs> and you don't speak Hebrew and and I definitely right. don't speak Hebrew and Kelly doesn't speak Hebrew but our other friend Valerie is Israeli really? and speaks right. Hebrew so we got so the craziest thing is is that she she just didn't Leia didn't get your letters it wasn't that she was like dodging right. at all she right. didn't get Did your you letters get somehow but she she herself had do you remember the story I'm sure you do the crazy story that she said about her her donating was that like she um I think the reason why she donated was because she had to donate for the army or something well you know her mom had leukemia her mom had leukemia also right around the same time so she realized how important it was right so I think yeah I think maybe she did have to register maybe but she didn't have to donate Right. And her mom, she couldn't be a match. She, her mom ended up donating to herself. Right. So like that, right? right. So she didn't have to donate to her mom. So, so that's how you guys, be, she became your donor. Right. Isn't that crazy? She was like crazy. She, she, was was like 20, crazy. she was 22 at the time. What a brave giving person. Right. And then you guys got to meet on stage for the first time yeah. in front of 3000 people. I know and there's a part I saw a video my friend took and when they said Leia's here and she's walking down I'm like jumping up and down like a two-year-old <laughs> I mean of course you are like what was that like for you like what was that moment like for you I wish I could have I wish we could have communicated with words but I think we both got our emotions and we told each other like um, you didn't even need words like for that no, you know it was no. very it was so moving the whole I yeah. was on, I mean, it, yeah, I wasn't me and I'm like far removed kind of, I mean, you're like, you know, Kelly's mom and Kelly's my really good friend, but like, just like sit, the whole experience was like so uplifting, you know, like right. to, to watch that. To see the person walking towards me that gave me life. You know, I got to see, I like to tell people because it, I think for me, it makes a difference. So Kelly had a baby and I was in the room for the birth had she not had Leah not donated, I wouldn't be there to do that. And then two of my stepdaughters had babies. So um, I, I, 
I got to experience that and I wouldn't have had it not been for Leia. And, and she, did she know like about you before that night? I don't, I think she was told a little bit, but I don't think very much. I don't, I don't know how much she was told about me. And, and she, yeah, like, I guess she knew that she was going to meet you or she maybe also yes. didn't know. I think, she, I think she knew. Yeah. I think yeah. she knew. She was really, she's so sweet. It was oh, so nice she's a very there. nice. Yeah. Are you guys in touch? Are you still in touch? Yeah, we do. We, we email each other. Not often, but we email each other. That's so nice. That was so I like. Uh, sorry, I use Google Translate. <laughs> I just like wonder if Azer Mateo never reached out to you to come to that concert, if you ever would have met Leia. No, because how would I have known? I just thought she wanted her privacy. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just like yeah. the whole thing is really nuts. Like the fact that she was your donor and the fact that they asked you to come. And I mean, the fact that she donated and here you are, but. The whole thing was like a dream. The whole thing was a dream for me also. <laughs> and I was just a bystander. I, I, I can't remember. What was that? What was that night like? Going, like leaving the leaving the hall and like going to sleep. Like, what did you feel like? Surreal? Like on a cloud? Well, I have to tell you that on the way out, a little girl asked for my autograph. Of course she did. <laughs> so I said to her, she was so cute. She was looking at me and she had really cute earrings. And she looked at me, she's like, oh yeah I saw you and I said oh I love your earrings and she's like oh, oh my <laughs> like gosh. some star talked to her it was really it was yes. kind of surreal just walking back I, I couldn't put it in words I just had this non-stop smile yeah yeah it was amazing and it's funny because Danielle Renoff was there but I don't think you knew who she was or your friends knew who she was but she's like a Jewish celebrity in like our circle well I told, I thanked her for making Kelly so happy. <laughs> right. And Kelly, Kelly and I were like starstruck and like, yeah. you know, like, oh my God, it's Danielle Renault, you know, like. I know Kelly was just like staring at you. Yeah. Yeah. She's really famous, you know, <laughs> and she had her little, like she was giving out her spice mix. And... I use her spice mix all the time. Peas, loves carrots. I, yes. I'm telling you, I use that spice mix all the time. Yes. That was just like, oh, the whole thing was amazing. And I remember just so I think you might've known this, but like. Like Kelly was like, Gila, I don't know if I can get you in. And I was like, I have to come to this concert. Like I'll pay for it. Like I need to be there. Like this is, and you know, I, I hope it's okay that I'm sharing this. I hope Kelly doesn't kill me, but I remember, I think this is, I think it was that night Kelly said something like, um, I hope it was okay that I invited you because like, I know it must be hard that you like lost your mom. And I'm like, this is not hard for me. I'm so happy that, that you have your mom. You know, like it was so, it was so moving for me, the whole thing. Like, I know that the, out, like the possible outcomes and it was just like, that's why I had to get you on the podcast. Cause like, I couldn't, I was posting on Instagram, like I, the pictures of, but like it, it didn't do like the, the pictures didn't do justice to the experience, you know? Right. You, you almost had to be there. It was, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, people were coming up and can I hug you? oh my gosh, can I hug you? And I'm thinking, you're the star of the show. I'm just Mara. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, can I hug you? Oh my God. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I, I really hope that the way you're touched and I was touched that there were people in the audience, again, who will donate because they'll remember that night. hundred percent. I think that that's like one of, the, probably one of the most important 
um, parts of this interview is just to educate people on like, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what it's like to donate. I don't know. Maybe you could share, maybe we'll share a link in the show notes of like what to do if you decide that you want to be a donor. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. I know, I know that, um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. I was talking, I was thinking about donating. So I know that the website, I think they have 4 million people registered. Wow. Or, or maybe 1 million. And then, but only they've done, not only, but they've done 4,000 um, transplants. So 4,000 is a lot, but if you think that they have a million people signed up, but right. only have done 4,000. That's how broad of a base they need. Wow. To find a match. And unfortunately, people who are of mixed heritage or mixed color have even a more difficult time and their, their base is even smaller. So we need everybody, everybody needs to donate. Yeah. If they can. Yeah. Um... So I, I, I didn't even think of this before we recorded, but yeah, I'm going to do my own research and try to put that in the show notes so that people could maybe reach out to you or reach out to Azer Mitzion or however we could spread the message that like, we definitely need more donors. Right, right. And definitely if anyone needs, if you need, I've talked to a couple people, if you need, if you have somebody who's going through it, who needs to talk to somebody please don't hesitate to call me. I know some uh, doctor in my office asked if I could talk to a husband whose wife is going through it. Wow. And, you know, when did you get your hair back? When did it grow back? And um, he's like, oh, you gave me such hope. I'm going to go back and tell my wife. And oh, wow. so, you know, if you can make a little difference, I think that the, the um, trials and tribulations we go through, if we can help somebody else, it's maybe not worth it, but it's, it makes it worthwhile. Actually, um, did you ever read the book, The Five Stages of Grief by David Kessler? I did not. So he, um, he, him and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote the, yes. oh, right. So they wrote the book or they came up with the five stages of grief, right? So right. he, I did a lot of grief research after my mom died. And, um, and, and I will say like grief isn't just when someone dies, right? Like grief is also like even when somebody goes through an illness, there's like a grieving process of like, I thought my life would be different. You know, there's just, right. so, so this makes sense in the context of what you just said that he, he actually lost his son. Um, and after he lost his son, well, he lost his mother at a young age, but he lost his son when he was maybe like 50 and his son was like 20. And um, he, he decided to, um, redo the book with a sixth stage of grief which is called making meaning so he he says of course i would never i would never trade the meaning for my son i would if i had a choice i would want my son to be alive but sure. part of grief is like one of those stages of healing is to make meaning and a lot of the times it's like i i, I don't wish i had cancer but because i did have cancer like now what will i do with this right. strength right you know right and that's right. what you did. And that's what you're doing. Right. And I, I wish I could be more involved. And I think about what I can do to be more helpful to people. I know some people are very proactive. Um, and that's another thing I'm, you know, once I retire, I wanted to get into more. Finding something that I can do. Yeah. So yeah. It, the opportunities will make itself available. 
I totally believe in that. And I think like even just, I know for myself through my own like grief process, like, and also just in the work that I do with clients, like helping them through like disordered eating and eating disorders, a lot of times it's just like holding space for someone in their pain or like empathy, you know, like you went through this trauma and like some, like at someone else asking you, like, when will I get my hair back? Like, you know, because you went through it and that gives somebody else comfort, you know? Right. Right. Or giving, I have a patient that I really like this patient, her husband's going through cancer and she's a caregiver and I know how hard that is. So I can empathize with her and say, you know, uh, I understand it's really tough for you and you need to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your husband. And so even little bits like that are helpful. Totally. Totally. Um, Wow. So I'm going to try not to cry on the podcast, but um, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. And I hope it's okay. Maybe I'll put of course, maybe I'll put your email address in the show notes. Of course, of course. And anybody feel, feel free to contact me. I really, as you can see, I talk. And she's the best and we love her and totally reach out. You, Gila. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This is amazing. You always just have a space in my heart. And I love when I see you at Kelly's house and I might have to go to see you and not Kelly anymore, right? Yeah. We'll meet meet in Israel. We'll meet in Israel or we'll meet at the ice cream store where we met once. Yeah. Yeah, Only for good things. Only for good things. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode all the way to the end. I just want to let you know that I am recruiting for an upcoming intuitive eating group support. And um, that is starting March 7th. It's a four-week course. It's $300. If I take any of your insurance, if I take your insurance, Aetna, Cigna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Emblem Health, United Healthcare, Empire Plan only, it could cover some of the course. Please reach out at gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com. And if you like this episode or any of the other episodes, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Give it a five-star reading, and I would love to hear your input. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.